0: This is the Indigify Native Artist Series. I'm your host, Chandra Iclugan Safran. Today, I talk with Dorothy at Fredenberg. Dorothy is a professional performer and business owner of a dance company based in DeGaikak, known today as Anchorage. Dorothy's talent reflects a lifetime of discipline and love for dance. She performs as Violet Lee Vamp. She co-founded Sweet Cheeks Cabaret with her business partner, performer Lady Duchess, in 2013. Their work straddles the discipline of live performance, the close-knit community of small businesses, and the energy that comes with cabaret, a niche in live theater that combines entertainment with an art form that is gender, body, and sex positive, and where
1: safety and consent
0: come first.
1: I want Sweet Cheeks to be like the thing of like, you got to go see this crazy cabaret downtown.
0: At the core of it all, as an indigenous performer and entrepreneur in the small business community, Dorothy's work marks a steady, Subtle Sense of Ownership for Indigenous Women in Entertainment. I was curious to have a conversation about her work. Our discussion was tender.
1: Everybody deserves to feel beautiful, to feel vibrant, to be heard, to have a voice, right? And you can do that in a way that isn't offensive, that is loving. Empowering. I feel like there is definitely an opportunity for for some power there, right? So for some influence. Um, and so I'm more outwardly spoken about that and what that means for me and like what it means to be Native American, American Indian.
0: Why do you think is there even a need to have the term sex positive?
1: Because there's a sex negative, <laughs> right? <laughs> and a lot of fun. I like talking about hard things, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah.
0: This is the Indigify Native Artist Series, created by Alexis Salee. Our theme music is Khaumayurik by Inuk artist Reet. Owanga ekugen Chandra Safran, and in this episode, I talk with Dorothy wachisit Fredenberg, co-founder of Sweet Cheeks Cabaret in Anchorage, Alaska. This conversation has been edited for clarity and length.
1: Dorothy Dorothy at Fredenberg? I'm Menominee Indian from the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin, and I grew up here in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin, um, and I was essentially transplanted, as I like to joke, uh, to Anchorage with my adopted family.
0: Like many Indigenous creatives, Dorothy identifies with her Indigenous name and what it says about who she is and where she comes from.
1: Waitisit is Menominee. It is actually my uh, dad's grandma's maiden name. So Waitisit is actually a common, not a common last name, but a a last name that's uh, in Green Bay quite a bit. My art form is burlesque. And I say that with a little asterisk um, because, you know, first and foremost, I'm a dancer um, who got into doing burlesque because of a friend. Um, And so together we own Sweet Cheeks Cabaret.
0: Without further ado, please welcome our Sweet Cheeks Cabaret performers.
1: (laughs) And my stage name is Violet Lee Vamp. (laughs)
0: Violet Lee Vamp and Lady Duchess have helped make Sweet Cheeks a fan favorite in the Anchorage nightlife scene. Frequently earning the company and its cast of dedicated performers awards in audience-voted theater and burlesque. While her fans might glimpse the polished performance of Violet Lee Vamp in character, as a co-founder of Sweet Cheeks,
1: Dorothy wears more than a top hat, Co-owner, producer, director, choreographer, costume maker, all the things.
0: <laughs> the cheekiness stays in the performance. Dorothy's happily booed up. I wanted to say congratulations to you on being engaged. <clears throat> Thank
1: you. So excited. <laughs>
0: Dorothy's practice in dance and performance goes all the way back to the beginning. My
1: mom, well, my mom tells me that she took me to a powwow um, in Anchorage some time ago when I was maybe like three or four. And she knew that I was a dancer then because I could not like I could not sit still when like you'd hear the like the beat of the drum. And I would just get out and just like just want to move my my little three-year-old body to like the beat of the drums. I started uh, formal classical ballet training um, when I think when I was five. Um, My mom signed me up for ballet training, and we'd go like two, three times a week. Um, And it was challenging for me because I really didn't want to fit into kind of the you know the structure of ballet and like be. It's it's very intense like activity. Right. So you like, you know, you have to follow these specific structures and then you get critiqued on it. And like they do this at a really young age. Um, So it actually really kind of instilled a lot of like, just a lot of like professionalism within me and a lot of structure and a lot of like things that, uh, yeah, just kind of helped me shape who I am today. But it was hard as a kid. Um, I think it took a few years. My mom was really adamant about me being in ballet because she knew, like you know, she knew that that's kind of like what I needed. Um, but after a few years, um, I would, I would just like come out of class and be so happy and like relieved and like just feel, you know, just be like full of energy after like you know an hour and a half class <laughs> um and so she like that's how i knew i was just like this like dancing and moving just makes me feel so good inside and just makes me feel connected
0: dorothy's interest in dance deepened throughout young adulthood and
1: i learned jazz dance for the first time and like to me that like really spoke to my heart and soul because i was like this is like it's still structured, but it's got like, you know, better music, <laughs> cooler dance moves. Right. And like, I just like felt like more attuned to that. And like the kind of the way the rhythm with it also is like spoke to me more than classical ballet. Um, so I knew that that's what I wanted to do more of. Um, and then I discovered like hip hop in high school. Cause that was really popular back in, back in my day. Um, and I had a really close friend that started a like hip hop dance you know, dance movement at the high school I went to. So we had a little club. um, It was called Dance West. (laughs) And I just like, that's all I wanted to do was like hip hop. And just kind of like, it just felt like it was more expressive. Um, But I still stuck to ballet, of course, because that really kind of built, built a really strong dance foundation for me.
0: Ballet imbued in Dorothy an unshakable professionalism and poise. Even though I'm a fan and I'd been to a couple of Sweet Cheeks shows over the years, I was fuzzy on the differences between
1: burlesque and cabaret in the world of theater. Um so my partner and I um lady duchess we had to really define cabaret for ourselves because people ask us this all the time. So burlesque, you know, burlesque if you look it up, you know, you, you see like feathers and sequins and corsets and like big bustles and um just very extravagant beautiful costuming. We very much do that, but we don't do it all the time. Um and we love to incorporate like you know, singing, comedy, theatrics, One thing that really kind of sets my group apart is that we really focus on group dances. We dance together. Um, We do a lot of duets. We do a lot of like what you would see at like maybe like a Vegas show or something. Um, And we add burlesque elements to it. So that's my definition of cabaret. Cabaret also is uh, essentially like a nightclub um, that that holds all of those things. Like they have musicians, they have comedians, they have people that do spoken word. It's a cabaret club. um, It's kind of the definition of it. So when we put together like our entire, you know, the goal that we do is like we really just want to do everything. (laughs) But we want to we want to have the burlesque feel behind it um, just because it's fun and people, I don't know, for some reason people really enjoy seeing us take our clothes off (laughs) and we enjoy doing it. Like there's a silliness to it, right?
0: Oh, As a theater genre, cabaret at its heart is a sex, gender, and body-positive form of art and celebration. To perform regularly in a successful theater and nightlife business showcases craft. To co-found and co-own the company creates a steady sense of ownership by Indigenous women in entertainment. I think I mentioned we talked about challenging things, And leaned in to laughter as medicine. And so like, okay, right. So it's sex. So we could literally go on forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But I wanted to explore a little bit like the nature of uh, cabaret as a sex positive art form. Because again, sex is inherent to being a person. It's one of the most intimate parts of being a person. Why do you think is there even a need to have the term sex positive?
1: because there's a sex negative, (laughs) right? Uh, And I think in our society today, in our culture, like people think it's so taboo to talk about sex and like sexual desires or like things that we find to be attractive. Um, And so like, I think we're told that it has to be this way or that way, right? Or we just don't talk about it at all. Um, And like, you know, it's only talked about amongst like intimate friends or lovers or even maybe even not, I don't know, in some cases, you know, relationships you don't even talk about sex with your partner right but it's something that you do um so i think it's something that like we all we all do as adults and i think um the sex positivity part of like what we do with sweet cheeks is just to you know allow people to feel okay with it being out there like like you said like we have to set up the safe environment first with the safety and the consent and like you know really just kind of like let It's like setting up the the rules, right, for, for what we're about to do. But this keeps everybody safe and comfortable.
0: Like I said, there is no photos, no photography. Just have a good time. Active participation again.
1: Um, And, of course, the consent piece is a huge part as well. Um, but, yeah, I think the importance of just, like, sex positivity is giving somebody kind of like a a place to feel comfortable.
0: Accept everyone. Everyone. It doesn't matter what you identify as. It doesn't matter what you look like. Was there ever a time that you wondered whether you should stop or that you shouldn't put as much energy
1: into it? (laughs) Yes. Uh, It was shortly after we had started Sweet Cheeks Cabaret, like just a few years into it. Um, And it was always, you know, when we started our dance company, I was really not very public about it, especially, you know, in the professional environment. Um, and there were some things going on at work, some trainings that I had gone through um, that really just kind of questioned what I was doing because part of me felt like, well, how, like, how similar is this to sex work or how similar is this to like being, uh, you know, being like a, just like a stripper at a strip club that you like, if you think of the, think of the word strip club, right? And then what instantly comes to your mind? And I'm like, people probably view me this way. Um and am I okay with that? And part of me just kind of had to push through it and just be like, this is more than more than the, the expression of sexuality, I mean, it is, but it's very artistic. And like, there's a lot that goes into that um, as far as like freedom of expression, there's can be some politics, you know, lots of, um, yeah, just lots of like growth and almost like healing. For a lot of people, when they get to you know really dive into their their art, um, and so that's kind of the lens that I really had to take it from. But it was it was getting to a point where I was really questioning like, how is the rest of the world going to look at me <laughs> if I keep pursuing this? But I think in the long run, like the community we've built, just you know, makes up for all of that.
0: We're all going to go. Ooh, It feels relevant to note that Dorothy and I had this conversation on Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. Two days later, Friday morning, I woke up and read the news. The U.S. Supreme Court repealed Roe v. Wade. It might look seamless on the surface to incorporate creative aspirations into professional life, but I sensed a more complex balance for Dorothy. For Indigenous creatives... There can be the added pressure of representation. Proudly identifying as an Indigenous person who also owns a creative small business can carry an implicit expectation to represent our identity in all of our work. The reality of how our Indigenous identities come through in our work is a lot more nuanced. As an Indigenous creative person myself, you know, my back heritage and identity really ties into and kind of emerges in the work that I do, just on its own. So, for example, my homeland in Mm -hmm. Cygnuswak in Nome, um, the landscape, the light, all of those things sort of emerge into my work naturally. So I'm curious, how does your heritage emerge in your performance art?
1: Um, For me as a performer, I'm still really trying to kind of figure out what what that means. Because there's a fine line, right, between like, the type of performing that I do—I'm not just a singer, I'm not just a dancer. I'm a burlesque performer who takes her clothes off on stage. And then there's my indigenous heritage, and the two to me shouldn't blend together. Um, just out of respect for you know for my my tribe and what I represent, but also there's a lot of pride that goes into me being a performer in the community, um, and so I'm more outwardly spoken about that and what that means for me and like what it means to be Native American, American Indian. Um, Or, you know, I like to say to be an American, (laughs) because to be an indigenous American, um, you know, that that means a lot to me.
0: When our creative endeavors involve a topic like sexuality, well, it turns out talking about hard things is hard. Why do you think that this is particularly important for Native women? Or is it?
1: You no, know, I don't know a lot of data and research around around that, but I know from my experience as a native woman um growing up, we're we don't have as much of a voice, right? And so that that can really kind of bleed into a lot of different things in the work that we do and our education and the way we kind of interact with society. So sometimes that leaves us more vulnerable, leaves us more susceptible to abuse and you know that can like I said, like that can really impact you as later on in your entire life, right? If you're not able to kind of identify or even give yourself a voice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I want to explore that one a little bit more because I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, but I think in this context of indigenous women in particular, having our own voice or owning our own sexual agency is I would Kind I of like that. Call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are in this context of, you know, indigenous women in communities across Alaska, across the United States, the entire continent, suffer from some of the worst statistics when it comes to uh, sexual violence, domestic violence, childhood sexual abuse. And, you know, without going into too much detail about those statistics, they range anywhere from four to ten times the national average, depending on communities. Um, yeah. These are really well-established. We hear them again and again growing up as Native people. Um, And so those numbers and having that message reinforced over and over again, I think, sometimes can cast us as victims. And then we have to start to self-perceive ourselves as victims, which makes me return again and again to agency in being in what is one of the most beautiful and fun and intimate parts of being a person, Right? So it's yeah. like flipping that narrative. So, how does sexuality in art made by Indigenous women and femmes help reinforce our own sense of agency rather than
1: victimization? Yeah. It's a sense of pride for sure. I know for me, when I go and I see, you know, a native artist that's like doing like drag or singing or, um, bodybuilding, I'm just, I'm not going to name names, but like, you know, people I follow on Facebook that I really look up to, or, you know, their bands and their artists, um, just it gives, so it's kind of that effect where you see someone do it and you're like, I want to be able to do that. I can do that maybe. Right. Right. Um, And you're just so inspired by it. And so that's kind of part of, I'm getting chills, like just talking about this, like part of like why I love performing and I keep doing it. And it's the fuel that like feeds my fire is that I want to be an inspiration to other indigenous women. And, you know, there are a lot of talented people out in the world, right? And like, you can too. It's not just, you know, it's not just me, it's everybody and everybody deserves to be everybody deserves to feel beautiful, to feel vibrant, to be heard, to have a voice, right? And you can do that in a way that isn't offensive, that is loving, right? And that delicate balance that you're talking about. Um, Yeah. I think everyone just deserves to feel that way.
0: Speaking of chills, I just like teared up because you are such an inspiration. At the same time, We have to be sensitive that our communities are in a whole spectrum of different places when it comes to the many areas of life that we are decolonizing the way that we think about our knowledge systems and how we live those out in our contemporary systems. Um, And that's especially true with ownership of sexuality. I mean, that is such a sensitive and delicate subject for a reason. As we've said many times, it's one of the most intimate parts of being a person. And as with anything, people are going to be at different levels. Communities are going to be at different levels, especially with what we've gone through as peoples. So what do you think is the value in creating these spaces? even when not everyone is in the same place or on the same page when it comes to celebrating sexuality.
1: I know that it makes some people uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, I and I can accept that, especially being out in the community. Um, and that's, you know, and maybe I'm a little, re- I'm not like outwardly in your face about, I do burlesque, I take my clothes off, I sing, right? But, you know, if you come to a show, you get the full effect. <laughs> um, and so I think, yeah, I totally agree. People are at different different um, levels of healing, different ways of kind of seeing and experiencing their own sexuality. Um, so I'm not really in your face about it when I'm in the community because um, it it is delicate, and you know there's there is possibility to trigger people, right? And that's not that's not what I'm about, right? I'm about like building people up and helping them feel comfortable and you know secure in themselves. Um, so there's there's a really delicate dance that goes with that and talking about that with people and you know I, I guess I just realize that maybe I'm not gonna be able to reach everybody or not gonna be able to like you know get through to everybody. I'm not everybody's cup of tea <laughs> um, and I'm okay with that because at the end of the day I only have myself to like live with and deal with <laughs> um, and so I you know it just it makes me happy to do what I do and I think like, I also think there's a lot of value in community and talking to other people about it or people who have similar experiences and being able to share that too and just knowing that you're not alone. Uh that's a huge part of it. Actually I should mention that, because like, you know, you you do wanna you do wanna have a safety net of people that, that love you and support you.
0: People who are disruptors, like there's a reason to push the envelope and do things that you think are impossible true or that like the current art form or the current system like sort of makes you believe is impossible or that there's only one way to do it right but there isn't that's the beauty of art yeah you
1: can always do something different yeah or even push yourself like always pushing myself as a performer (laughs) exactly yeah oh i want to try this let's do this right (laughs) exactly and if it doesn't
0: work like whatever Oh well Yeah. yeah When you started Sweet Cheeks in two thousand and thirteen, were you nervous about starting a business,
1: starting your own company? Totally. There was so much that my partner and i didn't didn't know about owning a business um but that's one thing I really value about our partnership is that we figured some things out together, and it was like a growing and learning experience overall like Definitely, some things I would never do again, and I think she would agree. <laughs> um, but some things that really worked out and kind of just changed the way we do things now, and everything was like ever evolving and growing. Um, but yeah, I was terrified to start a business. I think the mindset that like I got, I gained from that, or even just growing up in Anchorage, is that it's so small. The community is small. Everyone's hungry for art. Everyone's hungry for something new and exciting.
0: Nailed it. Um, And
1: the best part about being in Alaska is you can pave your own way, right? And, like, you want to start a business, if it's unique enough and, like, you think that enough people will be interested in it, it's probably going to do pretty well.
0: Sweet Cheeks has been awarded multiple times the best of Anchorage in both alternative and mainstream local media How do you think the company sustains and continues to build a fan base
1: there's magic in that that i don't understand (laughs) i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, i think because we're we're just a lot of variety we you know like we're ever evolving and we we bring a lot of variety to it we're not just hyper focused on one particular look or feel like the types of shows the demographics like it's amazing to me, like we have a lot of people, repeat customers that come back and see us like once, twice a month, even. I'm amazed by that. Uh, but they look forward to it because, you know, we keep our level of professionalism, our shows are entertaining. Like, I think we just have like the right kind of formula for that. Um, but then sometimes we have like a half the audience is tourists or they've never been to a burlesque show before. Right. So there's an appeal to that. And I think. My goal for Sweet Cheeks Cabaret is to like be the tourist attraction of Anchorage, be one of them anyways. I want Sweet Cheeks to be like the thing of like, you got to go see this crazy cabaret town downtown. Like it's, it's an experience Mm -hmm. and like some people just like really want to be part of that experience. That's funny because our awards are like, they're in theater, (laughs) (laughs) right? We got like one of the best of Alaska awards in theater (laughs) and I'm like, wow, live theater. Cool. That's what we do. Right, And then some of our, like, singers get awards for being, like, great singers or actors or whatever. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not just focused on burlesque.
0: After getting a glimpse at how Dorothy nurtures a balance of creative expression and professionalism that helps lead to a successful dance company and a positive role model within the business of nightlife, I was curious what the next steps might be for Dorothy as an artist
1: you could ask me this any day of the week and I'd have a new answer, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, was the nature of being creative, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the um, next level of growth, I think for me, like right now I'm really focusing on aerial arts. Um, okay, pause.
0: Speaking of aerial arts, in the year or so before founding Sweet Cheeks, Dorothy conquered the world of aerial arts with a dance performance suspended in the air on the side of the Anchorage Museum. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I think that's probably one of the coolest projects we ever did. Um, so it was in conjunction with Momentum Dance Collective and the Light Brigade, right. Um, gosh, such beautiful, amazing ideas that they had. like, man, it was like every like solstice and equinox we'd put on this big show. Um, and the museum one was, I can't, even, I can't even begin to tell you where the idea stemmed from, but there was a group out of California called Bandaloop that they they do this. They, like, jump off a building, and basically they're wearing rock climbing gear, and they dance on the side of the building. Um, and so I think my dance director at the time was really inspired by that, and so was, you know, people from the Light Brigade. So we are like, we want to bring this to Anchorage. How do we do this? Um, and so the museum was I think the best, best location for it. It's not a very high building. Most of the buildings they dump jump off would be like 20 foot, you know, and then you'd have like this like 30 foot like rope that you can like play with, but that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was such a wild experience. So we went down to California and, you know, got training, um, learned all the safety techniques mm-hmm. because safety is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then brought it back here and we practiced down in Ship Creek off the side of one of the like warehouses, I have such fond memories um, of just being like really scared to death <laughs> of like, you know, just descending because I, I know I don't rock climb either. Uh, so descending from this building and like, you know, pressing off with your feet and the feeling of just like almost not like free falling, but kind of like that. Right. Um, kind of addicting. <laughs> uh, yeah. One of my fondest memories, though, is when we we're rehearsing on the museum wall and it's, you know, it's getting cold out cause it's like we're gearing up for the September Equinox performance. And so, you know, it's getting colder out and we're all bundled up and we're like jumping off and like warming up and I'm working on doing a backflip. And so I push off the the um, window as hard as I can, a little too hard, end up doing a rotation in half. And my whole back just slams into the the museum windows. Can you imagine the big tall glass windows? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can catch myself, right? I'm fine. I like I know how to like not hurt myself in that way. So I'm fine. But like I just remember pushing into the glass of the museum and watching it like from the sides like bend in and like push me back out. I was afraid I was gonna break the windows. Yeah,
0: I've always kicked myself that I missed that performance. It was
1: fun. And they had a giant projector on the museum, too, which so you could, like, see all these, like, gears and cogs moving and, like, just shadowy figures, like, dancing on top of it.
0: All right, where were we? The next level of growth. We're on pole dancing.
1: I recently did a pole routine in one of my numbers, which I haven't done pole in, like, five years. Oh my gosh. And I know that's like, it's not, <laughs> it's not burlesque, but... It can be. (laughs) And so for me, it's like taking this like obscure idea of like something cool and performancey and like turning it into an act or a show or a performance, anything that I can get stronger at um, and still stay like flexible and healthy and fit and all of that. Like it's a bonus.
0: I love what you said about every day of the week, you might have a different answer to like, oh, well, what is my next level of growth? Because I think that that speaks to um, exactly what I think you embody, which is indigenous excellence and just yeah. this idea of excellence that you're constantly open to growing and open to the challenges and falling on the face that comes with growing sometimes. Oh,
1: I've fallen on my face a lot. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, we hear this term indigenous excellence. And, and like I said, I think that that's what you and your work embody. Um, what does it mean to you?
1: Yeah, I think it it really it just means, you know, growing and believing in the best of your abilities and achieving it not necessarily achieving that cuz you never fully achieve it, but yeah. like recognizing the potential within you, which I think anybody I mean, you can do, you can accomplish anything you really put your your dreams in your heart to. Um and just recognizing that, right? Like, you know, if you have dreams of being a singer, being a writer or, you know, learning to play the banjo, even though you've never touched an instrument in your life, you can still do it. Great Lakes
0: Natives know what they're doing. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) We know something. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. I just love the work that you're doing. I've always been such a huge fan. And I know that there's so much hard work that goes into it. Thank you. So thank you for everything that you do.
1: Yeah, thank you. This has been a great experience.
0: I want to say Kwen Akbak big thanks to Dorothy Waichis at Fredenburg for sharing her story with us and to you, the listeners, for spending time with us. I'm Chandra Ikugan Safran, and I've been your host for this episode of the Indigified Native Artists series, created by Alexis Salee. The series is a program of Kawanik Broadcast Corporation. Our theme music is by Inuk artist Reet Other tracks featured in this episode include Colombian artist Ila Mainus with Kiss You and Shire Tea with London, Paris, Berlin Denaena translation for the original place name of Anchorage is thanks to the work of Aaron Leggett at the Anchorage Museum. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by Chandra Kugan safran with thanks to Nola Moses at Native Voice One, KTOO Public Media, Huwonic Broadcast Corporation, and executive producer Alexis Salih. This project is supported in part by The National Endowment for the Arts On the web at arts.gov The Siri Foundation Supporting Alaska Native Education, Culture and Heritage Since 1982 GCI And Cook Inlet Tribal Council